Well, good morning, Christ Community Church. It's my pleasure to be with you today and to serve you and to spend time in God's Word together today and next Sunday. So if you would, take your Bibles and open them up to Matthew chapter 4. We're going to study verses 1 through 11. That's Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. And the message is titled, The Temptation of Christ. Now, temptations are something that we all experience. Something that we all go through in this life. So it's a very practical topic for us to explore together this morning. But before we talk about temptations, I want to talk about turtles. <clears throat> now, I promise you, I am going somewhere with this. The alligator snapping turtle is one of North America's largest freshwater turtles. Some of them that have been caught in the wild weigh up to almost 250 pounds. They're a big turtle. They're also a carnivorous turtle, which means they eat meat, fish. They've even been known to eat small alligators. But what stands out about this turtle is the way that it deceitfully hunts its prey. You see, the alligator snapping turtle sits at the bottom of the lake or a river with its mouth open and its tongue sticking out. But at the end of its tongue is this little pink appendage that looks like a worm floating in the water. And when the fish sees that, it thinks, I've got to have that worm. And he swims right over to it, right over to the turtle. And unsuspectingly, the fish doesn't know what's going to happen next. The turtle closes its mouth, and the fish is unable to escape. Similarly, this is how the devil, demons, the flesh, and the world present temptations in our lives. Outwardly, we think just like the fish, that we need the worm, and we swim right up to it. And sometimes we get caught. Sometimes we are unable to escape. But I want you to take heart this morning and be comforted. If you're struggling with temptations, if you're giving in to them, and you feel defeated, there is hope. God has made a way out of our temptations. He has not left us defenseless in this fallen world. He has given us the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, to defend ourselves against the temptations that come into our lives. And that brings me to the first point, the setting of the temptations. Follow along as I read verses 1 through 2. Matthew writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Now I want to take a couple of moments and establish the context leading up to Matthew chapter 4. And at the end of Matthew chapter 3, we have Jesus' baptism. And this is significant to us for two reasons. One, in Jesus' baptism, 
he is identifying with us in our humanity and our sinfulness, even though he himself was without sin. It should be a comfort to you this morning, saints, that the author of Hebrews tells us that Jesus was tempted in every way that you and I are, and yet he is without sin. Jesus knows what it's like to be tempted. Secondly, Jesus' baptism is important to us because it marks the beginning of his public ministry. Right after his baptism and his temptation, his public ministry begins. And so this morning as we step into Matthew chapter 4 together, Jesus is identifying with us in our temptations. Now before our Lord can dry off after his baptism, the Holy Spirit takes him from the banks of the Jordan River and drives him about 10 miles out into the Judean wilderness. It is a barren, rocky wasteland. There is nobody out there. There are these stones that are out there that are about the size of your fist. And we'll talk more about those in a moment because they're important to our text. But back in Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, after Jesus is raised out of the water, God declares from heaven that this is my beloved son and I, in whom I am well pleased. And so, this is a spiritual high point in the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ. And this is where God affirms him. I think we can all relate to this moment in Jesus' life where he's brought up out of the water. It's a spiritual high point in his life. We've all had those, haven't we? Maybe it was the moment you came to Christ. Maybe you have a temptation in your life that you've, you've finally, finally been able to gain victory over. But here in our text, this is one of Jesus' high points in his life in ministry. But in the parallel account in Luke's gospel, we read this. Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. And Mark further describes that Jesus was driven into the wilderness by the Spirit. Don't miss the contrast. Jesus goes from the, the bustling banks of the, the Judea, or from the Jordan River out into the Judean wilderness. It is a barren wasteland. He goes from this spiritual high point to a spiritual low point. Do you think in his humanity that he wanted to go into no man's land? No, not at all. But Jesus was willing to submit himself to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And is that true of you this morning? Are you willing to be led by the Holy Spirit wherever he takes you? But Jesus also demonstrates for us that he's willing to be tested by God. See, there's a principle here for us. See, just like Jesus has spiritual highs and spiritual lows, so do we. Spiritual peaks, spiritual valleys. And it's often in those valleys when temptations come, don't they? Usually when temptations strike, 
When they come knocking at our door, wanting to be let in. Are you prepared to deal with them? Like Jesus, we need to be willing to follow the Holy Spirit. But be filled with the Holy Spirit. Like the wind that fills the sail of a ship that that drives it in the direction it is supposed to go. And so are we as his disciples. So that we'll not gratify the desires of the flesh, but the desires of the Spirit. You may be inclined to think this morning with the Holy Spirit leading Jesus out into the wilderness that somehow he was tempting Christ to sin. But that's not true. And I want to make a distinction here in our text this morning. God tests. God tests us to conform us to the image and likeness of his son. To grow our dependence upon him. But Satan tempts. And he tempts us to lead us away from the goodness of God. To cause us to stumble. To cause us to sin. But here the Spirit is leading Jesus out into the wilderness to test him. To demonstrate for us this morning his superiority as the Son of God. The sinless Son of God. Our Savior. But what it shows us in the text is that Jesus is completely dependent upon God. He's willing to be led by him wherever the Spirit will take him. Is that true of you this morning? Do you depend upon God in in the trials and tests of life? Do you lean on the flesh that, that so often disappoints us? Or do you lean on the power of the Holy Spirit? So for the first time in the Gospels, in the New Testament, we are introduced to the devil. Now he's no stranger to the pages of scripture. Not at all. In the Old Testament, we read that he was a high-ranking angel. The anointed cherub that covers. Satan was the worship leader in heaven. And because of his pride... He rebelled against God and was cast out. And when he was cast out, he took one-third of the angels with him. And from that time forward, he has waged a war against God and his people. Make no mistake about it this morning. You have an enemy of your soul. And he is real. And so, in verse 2... We are told that Christ fasted 40 days and 40 nights and that he became hungry. Now, I don't believe he went without water, but I certainly believe that he went without food. I know that's hard for us to imagine, isn't it? I mean, I have a hard time making it to lunch or dinner, let alone 40 days But there have been people who have done it, that have fasted 40 days. And for a moment, I just want to put ourselves in in Jesus' shoes. The first two or three days of his fast, he would have experienced hunger pangs. Have you ever been sitting next to somebody and you hear their stomach growl? And you look at them and you're like, are you okay? Something, are you all right? 
That's exactly what he would have experienced in his humanity. Those pains that we feel when, you know, we skip a meal or two or miss them. But here we are, we are at the end of Jesus' fast, the last week of his 40 days. He would have experienced dizziness, fatigue, irritability, depression, possibly even abnormal heart rhythm. He is at his weakest moment, humanly speaking. And it's when Satan is going to capitalize on that. And that's often when the tempter comes to us in our weakest moments, whenever that may be, and you know when they are. But what Matthew wants us to see in the text is that we're where the first Adam failed and sinned in the garden. The second Adam, Jesus, will be victorious in his temptations, in his testing. Now, the number 40 in our text is used throughout Scripture to describe a time of testing and judgment. Going back to the, the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, in Genesis chapter 6, when God looked upon humanity and their thoughts were continuously evil and wicked, he judged this world by causing it to rain 40 days and 40 nights, leaving only eight Righteous people in Genesis chapter 6. Flooding this world. Causing it to rain 40 days and 40 nights. God's chosen people, the Israelites, after they were freed from slavery and bondage in Egypt and began to go out into the wilderness, doubted God's goodness and provision for them. And so he caused them to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. Where others have failed, Jesus will succeed. And what it should teach us from the text is that if God's one and only son isn't exempt from temptations, we aren't either. And that brings me to the second point, the setting of the temptations, or the three temptations, excuse me. Follow along as I read verses 3 through 4. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. As we begin to unpack these verses, I want you to see the temptation of appetite in our text. And I want you to notice in verse 3, it says that the tempter came to him. This was a personal visit from Satan himself. And I mention this today because there are many Christians who claim the name of Jesus Christ that would say the devil doesn't exist. They would say he is merely a, a force of evil or he's a, a symbol of evil. People a long time ago believed in the devil in the dark ages, but we don't believe that today. That's Satan's greatest tactic against the church in the world, is to get people to believe that he doesn't exist. And yet the Bible tells us very plainly that he does. And it's evident here in our text that he's not a, a force for evil, or that he is some symbol of evil. 
A symbol of evil can't talk or do the things that the devil does in the text to Jesus. Listen to the words that Satan speaks to Christ. He says, if you are the son of God. Now that could be better translated since you are the son of God. There may be some people here today who doubt the deity of Jesus Christ, that they don't believe he is the son of God. But Satan doesn't doubt that at all. He doesn't doubt the deity of Jesus. He doesn't doubt his sonship to the Father. But he's there to test it. The moment that you came to Christ, you became a soldier for the cross. And you were dropped in this world with a target for temptations on your back. The question is, do you know how to handle the temptations when they come your way? Now, if you'll notice, Satan attacks Jesus' need for food first. He says to him, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Now, a moment ago, I mentioned that there were stones in the Judean wilderness that are about the size of your fist. So imagine in your mind for a moment, Satan and Jesus standing face to face. And Satan picks up one of these stones and he just lobs it at Jesus. Lands right at his feet. Grab some satisfaction, Jesus. Turn it into bread. You're hungry. You've been faithful to God. You've been out here. You're starving. Feed yourself. But what our Savior does for us is he demonstrates a total dependence upon God to have his physical needs met. And how does he defeat Satan? How does he defeat this first temptation? With the word of God. He rebukes the devil. He says this, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, These verses that I just read originate from the book of Deuteronomy, which is the one book that Jesus quoted the most in his earthly ministry. And he says these words to Satan to remind him that in the wilderness, when the Israelites wandered because of their disobedience, God still provided for them. He gave them the manna from heaven, the water from the rock. And here in Jesus' time of testing and temptation, God will provide for him as well. You see, when we come to this first temptation, outwardly we don't see anything wrong with it, do we? Feed yourself. Have something to eat. It's just like the worm at the end of the turtle's mouth. Outwardly, it's attractive. We think that we need it. There isn't anything wrong as Christians when we fulfill our physical desires that have been given to us by God. Nothing wrong with that at all. The God-given desires that he has placed in us, those physical desires that we have, there's nothing wrong with that. Fulfilling them, as long as they are held up against the standard of God's word. 
ask yourself this morning, what is your greatest physical desire that causes you to stumble, that causes you to sin? See, we often think of the bigger sins, like sexual immorality, gossip, alcohol abuse, drug abuse, physical violence, things like that. But I want you to hear what Bible commentator John Phillips says about the lust of the flesh. He says this, It can simply mean satisfying a legitimate desire in an illegitimate way. The lust of the flesh is one of the world's devices for weaning us away from complete trust in the goodness and faithfulness of God. The lust of the flesh can come in many shapes and many forms. Now I want to move on to the, the temptation of achievement in verses 5 through 7. Follow along as I read, please. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. In the second temptation, Satan is using the pride of life to tempt Jesus. And the pride of life is anything that would cause us to be arrogant or to be boastful. But notice in verse 5, it says, The devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. Satan is ratcheting up the degree of his temptations. He takes Jesus from the Judean wilderness now to the pinnacle of the temple in Jerusalem, some 200 feet above the Kidron Valley. And so he tells our Lord, and he turns from Satan's temptation tool, turns now from, from bread to the Bible. And Satan boldly quotes Messianic Psalm 91, 11 through 12, tempting Jesus to throw himself over the edge of the temple. And that when he does, God will dispatch angels to his side and, and to prevent Christ from hitting the ground. But because Satan is the father of lies, as Jesus says in John 8, 44, he leaves out the words and that messianic psalm to guard you in all your ways. And so Satan's purpose in this temptation is to lead Jesus away from the cross. He's essentially telling him, Jesus, throw yourself over the edge of the temple. God will dispatch angels to your side. Everybody will see this miracle and they will love you and they will follow you. No need for the cross. No need for the nails to go through your hands or your feet. They'll see this miracle and they will follow you. But we know from, from the rest of scripture that Jesus performed many miracles. He raised the dead, healed the sick, forgave sins, and yet people still rejected him. But imagine now Christ walking away from the edge of the temple 
the pinnacle of the temple, quoting these words to the devil. You shall not put your Lord God to the test. And so Jesus wields the sword of the Spirit, defeats the devil once again with the word of God. And how important and true that is in our own lives. Jesus being all-powerful, all-knowing, could have defeated Satan right there in that moment, totally ended him. And yet he chose not to. He defeats him with the word of God. How much more important is that in our lives? When temptations come our way, the only tool that we have is the sword of the Spirit, the word of God. And so here in this second temptation, Satan uses the temptation of achievement or to be accepted or approved to tempt Christ. I think this is something that we can all relate to. It isn't, it isn't wrong for any one of us to want to be accepted or liked by other people. As long as it doesn't compromise who we are in Christ. That brings us to the third temptation. The temptation of ambition. Follow along as I read verses 8 through 11. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. In these remaining verses, Satan tempts Jesus with the lust of the eyes. The lust of the eyes are anything that would appeal to us visually. Think of it this way. Satan is, is airing a TV commercial and he wants to sell Jesus the world. And he takes Jesus now from the Judean wilderness to the pinnacle of the temple, to the mountains of the world, where they'll play deal or no deal. Satan says to Jesus, look at all that I have for you, the kingdoms of the world. Feast your eyes upon them. They could be yours. You see, it was a legitimate offer from the devil. He is the prince of the power of the air. He is the God of this world. He can rightly offer the kingdoms to Jesus, and so he does. Who wouldn't want the kingdoms of the world in their glory? And yet, the Apostle John tells us that this world and all of its desires, they're passing away. And in verse 9, we see the real reason that Satan tempts Jesus. It's to be worshipped. And so he rebukes the devil with these words. Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall not worship the Lord your God. In him only shall you serve. Jesus' final words are a reminder to us that when we give in to our temptations, we are, we are worshiping something or someone else other than God. And so in verse 11, after the devil leaves Jesus, though he'll be back, after he leaves Jesus, God does dispatch angels to his side. 
to minister to him, to bring him back to a place of health where he can now continue on and enter into his public ministry. In closing, I want to ask you a question this morning, and that is, do you care if you have victory over the temptations in your life? Does it matter to you if you gain victory in those areas of your life, those spiritual battles that we all fight? And if not, you should. It should matter to you. You should want to gain victory. The book of James tells us that that sin or that temptations that are left unchecked turn into sin, and that sin turns into death. And when James uses that word death in his epistle, it means that we can spiritually suffer for our sins, or we can physically suffer for them as well. The choice is ours. So I want to leave you with three brief application points this morning to gain victory over your temptations. I call them the three R's. The first one is repent. Repentance isn't talked about much from the pulpit these days. For that matter, neither is sin. But if we are going to gain victory over the temptations in our life, we need to have a lifestyle of repentance. Regularly confessing our sin to God. If not, we will give the devil a foothold in our lives. The second application point is resist. In James chapter 4, verse 7, we are told to submit ourselves to God and resist the devil, and then he will flee from us. In that verse, we have to submit to God first. God and his word need to be the authority in our lives, and when they are, we will be empowered by the Holy Spirit to stand against the schemes of Satan that so easily overtake us at times. And then the final application point is remember. I have a good friend who's a military police officer. And every year he has to go to the shooting range to qualify with the weapons that have been issued to him to demonstrate to his superiors that he remembers how to use them should he enter into a situation where he needs to defend himself or someone else. Similarly, God has issued all of us a weapon. The sword of the Spirit. The Word of God, as it is described in Ephesians 6.17. The question is for you this morning, is could you qualify with the weapon that God has given you? When temptations come your way and scripture is twisted. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your time together today and your word. Lord, we pray that you would give us the tools and the equipping that we need to defeat the, the temptations that come into our lives, Lord that so easily overtake us. May we lean on your word above all things when those happen. But Lord, may we also submit ourselves to, to being tested by you, Lord. Give us the discernment to tell the difference so that we will follow you closer and be conformed to the image and likeness of your Son. 
It's in his name we pray. Amen.